closed the phone and I was like, to my to my co-founders, I was like, guys, like that was the last no. Like, what can we do? And the only idea that we had come up with together was to add a zero to all the pricing pages um, and essentially 10x our price overnight. From Bryan Street Studios, this is how Tint was made. I'm Casey Franco, and on today's show, we're talking to Tim Sekou, the founder and CEO of Tint, about how the Tint founders took an almost bankrupt startup and turned it around to become one of the most successful marketing technology companies in the world. One of the problems with social media marketing is that the content is siloed on the social media sites. To see tweets, you have to go to Twitter. To see Instagram posts, you have to go on Instagram. But five years ago, three college students at the University of Southern California had an idea that almost no one had pursued yet. To humanize marketing by allowing brands to use authentic social media content created by real people. So instead of tediously creating lots of marketing material, brands could now easily reuse the best content from customers on their websites, signage, social media ads, and email newsletters. Not only are some of the most recognizable brands in the world using Tint, like Nestle, Krispy Kreme, Atlantis Hotels, and Stanford University, but all of these advanced marketing tasks and reusing this content can be done in just five minutes. But Tint didn't just magically appear. Before the founders of Tint found global success, the first product they tried to create actually failed. We were actually working on a different product uh, before that. It was called Hypemarks. And the, yeah, That's Tim Sekou, the CEO of Tim. From, um, one of my class, uh, entrepreneurship classes while I was at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. And what was, so I mean, when you were younger, did you want to be an entrepreneur? What was kind of your, your goal when you were there? Huh, that's funny because, um, you know, when I, the story I kind of share with my friends and anybody who asks is that when I was about five years old, my mother, um, I remember I was in the backseat and she was driving and she turned around during a stoplight and was asking me, hey, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, the classical mother-son question that they would ask. And I remember I had two answers for her. I said, either a hotel manager or the fr- first Asian-American president of the United States. So after that, um, she was able to, she asked me, like, why? Like, why do you want to be a hotel manager? And I was telling her. She was the most happiest when she took us to vacations at hotels and I wanted to, you know, own one or manage one to essentially hook her up. Um, But when she quickly said that, hey, like not to worry too much about her and to focus on more so um, helping others or solving challenges for others, um, it started to lead me to explore the world of politics. And so, you know, elementary school came, middle school came, high school came. I was participating and running for student government all those years up to the point where I was our senior year ASB high school president of Arcadia, California. Whoa, Mr. President. (laughs) Exactly. That's great. So so now we're back at USC. You're in this class. You've got this idea. What kind of made you say this was the idea you wanted to pursue? And like, how did you actually make the decision? I mean, you just, once you're done in college, you just didn't go get a job? Right. So... Um, the, the class project was, um, for one semester, come up with an idea and take it as far as you could. And because you were kind of like limited on time to actually like perfect an idea, the, how I thought, how I thought about it was, um, you know, what did I enjoy at that time? I enjoyed the internet, um, social media had just started becoming more popular and I was like, I want to do something with social media, with the internet and, uh, we'll figure something out. And, what came about it was hype marks, and essentially it was more of a consumer web application. You would go onto this website, and the idea is that you would have this like bookmarking collection, bookmark collection of all this link articles, videos, photos, memes, whatever you liked around the internet, and then be able to categorize it inside our web application. And then the only difference between us and other, you know, bookmark companies out there at that time, web bookmark companies at that time, was that you were going to connect your Facebook and Twitter and we would just suck in all the content, all the links, the videos that you have already shared on Facebook and Twitter and be able to like automatically have this like library of content that you can start to organize. 
God. And so were you working on this by yourself? What was the, the team like? Right. So at this moment, I was actually working on it all by myself. And so I quickly realized I needed to have some help to help me figure out how to start to build the, the platform. And so naturally, um, I turned to, I needed to like start to design uh, what it would look like. And uh, my ex-girlfriend at that time was a designer. Ooh. <laughs> and maybe you can see where this is going. I heard ex-girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> and at that time, um, you know, she would come up with some mock-ups or wireframes. And I absolutely loved it and kept asking her for more and more help. And then naturally started to work with her. And then after that, needed to find some developers. And uh, the two stories I can share real quickly here is that uh, of the two two co-founders we still work with today. Um, so the first one was, it was like on a Thursday afternoon and um, I was in my student government office doing my work and then a random student comes in and asks if we can plant more trees. And I said no. And then she would be like, oh, can we, can I petition to plant more trees? And so I said no. And then we talked about it. And then in the end, I would, I had this like, you know, niche, nick in my, in my, back whatever you want to call it, itch on my back to ask her if she knew any developers and she said i do and my my boyfriend uh is a developer and she wanted to plant trees and you didn't want i to wanted to find trees. a developer you wanted developers <clears throat> exactly so she introduced me to him and seven years later fast forward we're here today with we're still working together oh that's awesome and then right. the, the other person um found him through a job posting ad um, to the university sort of computer science center. And, the, you know, I had done this multiple times already and I was just like, I'm going to do it one more time. And um, at that moment, uh, this this email came back and said, hey, I would like to, I'd like to work with you. And at this time, there was many people who did that. And, you know, many times it would be people who were just faking it. But I was like, all right, I'll, I'll meet up with this guy. Turns out he's a great guy. Turns out that we both loved boba milk tea at that time, so we grabbed a lot of that. Turned out both of us loved In and Out at that time, so we grabbed a bo both grabbed a lot of that and uh, just got us to really bond and, and get to know each other a lot more. So then, when you're you're finished school, was it a difficult conversation with your families to say like, "Hey, I'm not going out. You've just spent four years at yeah. university, and now you're just." not gonna yeah I remember, get a job yeah i remember this conversation very distinctly we were at denny's and i was eating the diner some, some pancakes for dinner <laughs> and uh she she brought me to dinner because she was asking me uh so uh are you gonna find that job yet because we had just finished school and i was like nope i'm not and i'm going to go try this thing out that i started in this classroom project and i got some money for it and I'm just going to see how far I can take it. And I'm excited about it. And if the, the person, the, the advisor at the, at the accelerator told me that, what is there to lose if uh, there's always a job waiting? So at that moment, I told her and you could see maybe a little like irk or annoyance from her, but acceptance uh, afterwards. Okay. Yeah. That's got to be a tough, tough conversation <laughs> to hear. Exactly. <laughs> so at this interview, how, how, at what point does hype marks become tint uh you know the big the social me media marketing platform as it is today like when does it actually <laughs> yeah pivot um so we had finished the accelerator we had raised some money um around three hundred fifty thousand dollars at that time for for hype marks and um we were starting to work on it and then we had essentially 18 months of runway to to build something and create something to then go try and raise more money so we had a time against us, and then at that time, there were so many consumer applications out that the sort of saying was the new 1 million users to raise a lot of money had ballooned to around 10 million users. And so we were a consumer application, and uh, we needed to raise money because we weren't going to make any money um, during this time frame. So we need to get to 10 million users. Okay, so we had 18 months and 10 million users to go for. So we're like, we got this. All right, and we launch um, like into the public fully and like, May of 2000 and, uh, 2012, May of 2012. And within two months, we were like, well, we have like 5,000 users right now. We need to either fi figure something out that's going to just balloon us to like million of millions of users or we're going to have to pivot. So that's when we decided to, to pivot into something else. And then how, so why did you decide 
tint as it is is kind of similar to height marks in the sense that it was it's aggregating sure. all of this content. But what was there any like brands that were using you at that point? Like why did you decide to just switch it like that and make it more you know brand focused? Yeah. So we had about like I said about five thousand users, and when we made the decision to have to pivot. I was like, okay, maybe maybe we can start to talk to our users right now and ask what do they like about the technology that maybe I can get them to pay for it, right? If I can get people to start paying for it, we might be able to survive. So I went to some of the users, and at that time, we actually were luckily um, capturing and, 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 and exciting some of these brands that were using our technology, and I found their email in our database, and I emailed them asking very simply, hey, what do you like about our technology, and what part of it would you potentially pay for? And so I got some responses back. Uh, the first one was from a, a celebrity management agency and mentioned that, hey, we like your aggregation technology, but we don't like it that like it's living on your website. We wanted to live it on our website. And we have this celebrity that we're trying to launch a new website for, and we could actually use this technology for that. But I don't want all the other bells and whistles that you have. I just want that core technology. Can you... Can you do this for us? Do you remember who the celebrity was? <laughs> it was a uh, '90s R&B uh, celebrity, Tony Braxton. Tony Braxton. All Tony right, Braxton. so that's where he, he got your start. And so, yes. <laughs> so you see the brands, and you're like, okay, this is the the place that we can make money. And then, how long does it take? Like, is it is it a tough transition to get from height marks to tint, or what? Is that just like a, a simple, you know? Yeah, so, one night happens. Yeah, so we when we were when I got the opportunity, I told my team, and my team was absolute yes. So we said, look, let's let's potentially rebrand this. Let's rethink how we can potentially build this for other celebrities. At that time, and we were just thinking about celebrities. We didn't think about brands or anything like that. And we were like, okay, let's let's literally strip everything away and restart. And so we restarted, and um, that's when we had to you know, figure out what our new name was. I remember that was one of the first things we were thinking about. Uh, what will we call our new company name? Coming up with a brand name is always difficult, it sure. seems like. So where does Tint come from? Yeah, so we were sitting around a round table and we were like, okay, whatever we do, we want it four letters now and we want it so that no one can mispronounce it or misspell it. Because at that time it was height marks and what the heck was height marks? Everyone, if anything, kept saying hypermarks, and they just—it was like a chalk on nail on a chalkboard, kind of like it's always like annoying me. But uh, we were like four letters and uh, something simple that people can't misspell. So we're like, okay, let's let's work with themes here, and we stumbled upon the theme of colors. Started saying colors, and then uh, hues of color, and then we landed on this one word called tint. Tint. And, and I was like, huh, has a little ring to it. It's abstract enough, but simple enough in four letters. And, um, hey, maybe we can change the story to be like you tint, you know, your website, you add a tint to your website to make it look cooler, like you tint uh, uh, your windows to, on your car to make it look cooler. Maybe there's a correlation there. And so we ran with it. So at this point, I mean, you mentioned you have 18 months of runway, $350,000. Now you've just pivoted. How much time now that you've pivoted and you kind of started talking to these brands, how much time do you think you have left to actually, you know, make it successful before you're just out of money. Yeah. So at that moment, we had about maybe eleven or twelve months left after that eighteen months. We had okay. spent about six months already, and uh, yeah, race was against the clock, and we had to either go raise more money or figure out how to make enough money to to survive. So you know, we started to look at ways to monetize the 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 application more. We looked for more management celebrity management agencies we look for more brands that might look into you know admiring tony braxton and want to create their own kind of tint onto their websites and so we started looking for partnership opportunities distribution opportunities and we found one that was very very uh, helpful it's a, it's a web website builder and uh, essentially i thought about what if we can attach our tint uh, product to their product so that when someone is just about to purchase a website and they don't know what to put on there, put their social media with Tint. And so uh, I pitched them. They really liked it. And we got instant distribution to millions of users overnight. And this was in December 11th, 2012. So, so millions, millions of users overnight. Are you like, are you rich at that point? <laughs> Like where is there like is there even money on these? Because I, I feel like it's probably one of the 
and there's like mom and pops like making their own website. So there's probably not tons of money, but like, how does it, how does it change your, your financial state or even sure. like your, your way that you're sure. thinking about the company? So unfortunately it didn't make us millions overnight. We weren't millionaires and billionaires as we had hoped, but what it absolutely helped us do was build the confidence that we actually had something valuable for other users and other customers to use. So we started seeing a lot of websites pick this up and use it and put us on their homepage, put us on their on their second page. And we were like, oh my God, they're dedicating so much real estate to our product. That feels amazing. Um, so at that time, we hadn't even started charging because we were more so worried if we had built something valuable for people to, to even want to use. And so at that time, this we were maybe around you know, eight months of runway left. And this was now in January of 2013, where I'm like, all right, we either have to go start charging or we have to go raise some money. So I was like, I don't know how to charge money right now. So I think I know how to raise money because I raised a little bit of money before. Let's go try to raise some money. So we're thinking, okay, maybe we need about maybe a million to $2 million and it'll drag us now, give us time for another maybe 12 to 18 months. And we're going to figure this out. We're going to learn how to sell and, and, and grow this. And so I had found about 14 different investors to go talk with. And within about a month and a half, all 14 had said no. And when the last no came in through the phone call, I, you know, shut down. I closed the phone and I was like to my to my co-founders, I was like, guys, like that was the last no. Like, what can we do? And the only idea that we had come up with together was to add a zero to all the pricing pages um, and essentially 10x our price overnight. You So you just, overnight, you just 10x your prices? Just 10x our prices. I mean, so you can't raise money, you 10x your prices, you're either going out of business or people stay. Like, so what happens? Sure. So... We, at that moment, when the last note came in and we decided to 10x our prices, we had about four months of runway left. Okay. And so it was time to kick into hypergear. And uh, I was like, hey, XYZ brand, like, this is who's using us. This is how much it costs. Even though in my mind, I was like, I think I'm overcharging you. But in their mind, you know, for and realistically, they aren't seeing it that way. They need to see it from what value brings them. And so slowly but surely, we started selling plans for like $500 a month or even $1,000 a month. And then more, like at least 15 to 30 clients started purchasing it. And within two months after we had made that change, we broke even. And at that moment when we were broke, we broke even, that was about $20,000 of expenses a month. And um, we had just two months of runway left and about $40,000 in the bank. So you go from almost out of business to breaking even with the trajectory to just keep making money. At that and moment, like, are you hiring? What's what's next now? Sure. So at that moment, I was like, "Look, we can probably do this because now we have technically infinite runway." So I was like, "Okay, let's see if I can keep replicating this, and if I can, let's start to maybe hire someone." Um, so. I had kept selling it and um, started working more and more. We were trying to, we were almost making around um, thirty thousand at that a couple months right after that. And uh, remember when I told you we had launched with that website builder? Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the users uh, liked the product so much that she emailed us and asked if she could work with us and sell with us. And at that moment, I was like, wow, that is awesome serendipity that a user who loves our product so much wants to actually work with us and sell with us. So yes, let's interview you. Worked out. She was our first director of sales. And by the end of the first year, up till December of 2013, when we uh, at that time, we uh, were making around 80000 a month um, up to then. So from $0 in the beginning of January 2012. 13 to December 2013 we went from zero to 80,000 in a month and this all seems like everything's you know all happy and everyone's smiling but were there any times in that year that things went wrong what was kind of the yeah tell me some about something this. very very wrong uh that really hurt myself a lot which was 
Uh, remember that uh, that ex-girlfriend I had, I had asked for to work with design? Uh, she was still with us, working with us. And um, when we broke even, it was unfortunately a bittersweet moment where uh, that was the day that we decided we wouldn't be able to stay together oh. and have to break up and uh, separate ways, part ways. So lost a co-founder and uh, a girlfriend at that time on the same day in that year. Oh, man. <laughs> How did you cope? Uh, let's just say that the two co-founders that we are still working with today were there with me and I could absolutely just lean on their shoulders and uh, help me through some of the challenging days. So how, how old are you at this point? Maybe around 23. 23. Okay, so you're a 23-year-old. Your company's making you know thousands and thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars every month. What are you doing with that money, and how do you know what to do with it? Like, what's sure. the next the, the next step there? Yeah, I was first and foremost looking at our bank account, and I was like, "Wow, I've never seen this much money," and it's like amazing. I'm sure. Um, and that that time maybe it was like you know a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank account. Um, but then we're like, "Look, we can either sit on this money, or we can use it to see how much we can continually grow." So we're like, okay, let's start to grow the team because we have extra money. Let's start hiring more developers. Let's start hiring more salespeople. And look, we might need some support people too. Um, so January, we brought on two people. February, we brought on like another two people. Uh, and then March and April brought on one person each month. So at that time, starting from four people, we had all of a sudden ballooned to like 10 people within the first three months of 2014. You're 23 years old, managing people, you know, now managing a team of 10. Did you even know what to do? I mean, you had the background in politics, but yeah. <laughs> is that enough? With my limited leadership knowledge in a school setting for student government, uh, I, I, you know, I never, I never really thought of it like, could I manage them and, and how, do I, how do I lead them? It was more so just acting myself. And at that time, myself was... Look, we have this opportunity to to build something, and if something's working because it's growing, let's just have fun and keep seeing what we can do here. So um, that's the kind of culture I really started with, and started like just instilling with everybody. Like, look, we're here, and this is a rare opportunity. Let's be grateful and humble about it, um, but let's not, you know, take it for granted. And so everybody, like, like when it's time to work, get to work and, and help each other out. And when it's time to like relax and you know go out in life and enjoy a little bit, that's the time to do so as well. So that was kind of like my management style ever ever since the beginning. And you see, I mean, you seem just based off you know meeting you here, you seem like a, a down to earth guy. And you talk about you know the culture you've built, uh, and I've you know read lots of things online about the culture. So what was it about you or starting a company that made you focus so much on you know this culture? Because you know here's startups all the time that go out of business because co-founders feud or just because people are harassed, whatever it might be. But like, what was, were you able to do with the culture that, you know, or what do you do with the culture that keeps people, you know, happy and, and at your company? So the main reason why I'm so investing in culture, especially in the beginning and as we kept growing was probably because like, I wanted to have a place that would be like that. And now this was my opportunity and almost my responsibility to see if this could work and potentially inspire others. Um, and I would say I'm pretty lucky that I haven't been jaded or um, haven't been, uh, uh, you know, uh, exposed to other company cultures because this was my first job. So I was, you know, quite lucky that I might have been ignorantly blind in this case. But also as a, as a positive side of it, it's that because I'd not, you know, I don't, I haven't been engaged in other uh, cultures. I saw it as my opportunity to just do what I wish or think would be a really great environment. And so that's sort of been my North Star guiding me throughout, you know, creating culture um, within the company. And up till today, I would say that that's still one of the main things why people stay in our company and people um, enjoy their time there. What's one of the, what would you say is like the most defining part of your, your company culture um, that kind of sets you apart? Sure. So, um, it was in our retreat, our first retreat in 2014, when we had just brought on, a, you know, about five to six people. I think it was like six people at that time. And uh, when one of the one of the team members was like, hey, we should come up with some company culture values. And at that time, everyone's like, oh, that's just bullshit or that's just the things on the on the wall that you paint on it. 
or stickers. Um, what does that actually mean? And when she educated us about it, the co-founders and I and some of the other employees were like, that makes a lot of sense. These are sort of how we see it. These are guiding principles uh, to follow when, when you're lost or you don't know how to make a decision. And so I was like, absolutely, yes, let's do this. And I think they were looking at me thinking like, okay, I'm going to come up with all of them. But naturally, because I've never done this before and I've never been in another company before, I was like, all right, so guys, what do you guys think we should we should use we should have as our company values? And that was one of the defining moments of like it was just so natural for me to bring everyone in to participate in creating the foundation of the company. And we came up with our first five core values at that moment, and we've been following it ever since. I mean, that's that's impressive. I give you a lot of credit, and I hear you know about like the way you're transparent. You tell everyone's you know everyone knows everyone's salary. Right. Everyone knows all that's you know if. Congratulations! Thank That's you. pretty uh, incredible. Um, and so, at this point, who are who are some of like the big companies? Like, I'm assuming you're working with big brands now. Who are some of like in that first year when you're starting? You know, you're profitable. Um, you're becoming you know very popular, used around the world. I'm assuming. Sure. Yeah. Like we who were used some, around yeah, the world. Yeah. Who are some of those like big companies that really stood out and kind of helped you grow? Yeah, the first big one I remember was Nasdaq um, out in New York. And uh, they had come to us because they were like, hey, we want to display social media, but we don't want it on our websites that you have right now. We want it on our big screens, mm-hmm. our Jumbotron in Times Square. And we're like, is that even possible? And uh, we're like, yes, we can do it. And we couldn't actually really do it at that time, but we're like, yes, we can do it. And so we quickly, like we did for in the past, just like crank it out and deliver it to the customer. And they were like, wow, we like it. And so they displayed it. And so we leveraged that and they took a photo and then shared it with us. And we were like, whoa, this is amazing that we realized that our technology can now not only be displayed across many different websites, but right in Times Square. So we're like, wow, let's now use this and start, you know, convincing other companies and other brands and other organizations out there. And uh, we saw slowly but surely started getting some interest from universities. Um, This one was Northeastern University as one of our earlier educational clients there. And uh, so that opened up other universities like um, all around the United States and even in Europe. Um, we had uh, the NBA teams as well utilize our, our technology. We had uh, sports teams like the Dallas Cowboys uh, using our technology. And then we still had some celebrities using our technology like Enrique Iglesias. Coming up next on how Tint was made after a first year of incredible growth and profitability, Tim Sekou is in a position to raise money and attempt to grow the company even faster than before. But he runs into four major issues that almost caused the company to go out of business again. I'm Casey Franco, and you're listening to How Tint Was Made. Hey everyone, just a quick note from a sponsor that helps us bring this great content to you. Ever wanted a refreshing drink at any time during the day? Well, next time you go to the grocery store, check out LaCroix. LaCroix is not just seltzer water, it's not just carbonated water, it's a way of life. LaCroix, taste the goodness of life. And right before we jump back to the show, for more information on Tint and how they can kickstart your marketing efforts across the entire customer journey, go to www.tintup.com. That's www.tintup.com to learn more. Hey, welcome back to How Tint Was Made. So as you heard right before the break, Tim and his growing team at Tint have taken their profitable startup global, and it seems as if everything is just going to keep on going right. But as you know, a bigger company means more responsibility. We didn't even know we would get this big. And when we got that big, we're like, wow, what else can we do here? And we started thinking like, wow, maybe we, there is something that we can really grow here, something to, to take to the next level. And that helped us realize that we weren't just a scrappy startup, you know, in a garage anymore. Um, we were a company that had, you know, people that needed our needed the paycheck to, to live their lives. And we were responsible for that. And a lot of customers that were relying on our uh, on our technology. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of responsibility for, for you to kind of to handle that. Are you managing people that are, I'm assuming, older than you now? You're managing 
and now 20 people. Do you have help? Like you have more advisors and you still don't have any other investors. So, so where are you able to kind of get this, this inspiration from to, to keep things going? The inspiration was mainly along the lines of curiosity, uh, curiosity to see like how far that, how far we can take this. And so that was the main driver. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, a lot of the, during the days, I'll tell you, there was a lot of stress and that stress was because there was bickering, there was questioning, challenges, confusion, uh, people angry at each other. And I was like trying to put all the fires out and it almost burnt me out very quickly where, you know, I was trying to get some work done and then so-and-so would come to me and be like, so-and-so is treating me this way. And it felt like I was almost a parent sometimes. And, uh, you know, all, all be said is it just kind of showed that like, I wasn't ready to start to grow this company so quickly. Um, and I didn't have any management experience to really understand sort of how to manage all of that. So like, was that a low time for you? Was that a time when you had to find other people to help you or how'd you, how'd you get through that? Yeah. So we started naturally hiring like older people that were just more experienced, more mature, who had gone through experiences like this and started to naturally like, um, evolve our, our team's, uh, um, you know, age, but also, uh, maturity overall. And did you have any, at that point, bad hires at that point? Was there anything that like set you back in that year that you wish you wouldn't have done? So this was in 2015. And, um, you know, at this time we were still growing well and actually, uh, we hadn't fire anybody necessarily, uh, because we were kind of afraid or even I was just kind of afraid to, to let people go. So because of that, um, and, and we still needed to hire more people cause we actually had more profits. And one of our reasons was like, Oh, because we have so many profits instead of getting taxed, let's go hire more people. Uh, we got up to like close to, you know, I think 30 people by the end of 2015 or even like 35 or something like that. So 20 to like 35. And I remember what moment I was like, Oh, like, I didn't double or quadruple this time, like like I did the last year, and only like 1.5 times or something like that. And I can't believe I did that because I was like almost trying to like try to grow big, even though I was not ready to to manage all those people. Yeah. So 2014, you five x. 2015, you one and a half x your team. Does this keep going? I know you kind of you're starting to think about employees. You know, you're thinking of oh, I need to five x, I need to four x, but like. Does this keep going? At what point do you, you know, plateau or level off if, if you do? So this was now like late 2015. We had one and a half X that. And at that moment, we we're like, look, we either have some serious potential um, to grow this into something big or we're just going to sit around and maybe not do anything about it. And so there was this, you know, itch in our back to, to, to answer the question if there is something bigger here that we can do. So we were thinking about uh, potentially fundraising again because we wanted to now kind of grow even faster because we had done well 2014, did well 2015. We're like, we can totally do it again. What did you want to grow faster to do? Sure. Do we want to grow faster so that we can get, uh, we can beat out our competitors. Okay. So you have competitors at this point, they're doing similar things and you just want to be growing faster. Okay. Yeah. So then what, you you have to make the decision, are we going to fundraise more? Are we not? You've yep. got this plan. So we decide to, to, to want to fundraise or think about like fundraising. And uh, we started thinking, okay, if we're going to fundraise, like we need these many uh, materials ready. So we started getting it ready. And during all this time, we were preparing to start to fundraise. Um, in my mind, I was like, I, I don't think we're ready. I, I, there's something that doesn't feel right. I don't know where to put the light on it though is... So, um, we had said like, okay, we're, we looked at all the numbers, we collected all the data. We were like going to make a case to start fundraising. And then, you know, we had a conversation, a very deep conversation with the, with some of the team members who were, who were stakeholders on this and the co-founders of like, I feel like we have enough money to figure this out ourselves. Um, and I feel that we haven't proven out how to put $1 into a machine and get $2 out kind of formula that VCs or venture capitalists look for when they want to raise your next round of funding. Um, so I was saying, hey, I think we should do it with our own money. And so we're like, okay, we have a good amount in the bank. Let's start hiring even more then and really try to try to go at this. So instead of fundraising, you're now 
going, you're not going to get any more money, and now you're just going to spend more money yes. to rate, to try and hire people to try and fix your problems. To, to hire more people to try to sell more and then get more money and then go hire more to go sell more. Kind of like this repeatable okay. machine that was obviously painted in my mind. Yeah. Um, so we're thinking, okay, let's do that. Now, an interesting challenge arose at that time, though. We were about 30 people at the end of 2015, like I mentioned. Um, but our current office space at that moment could not hold all 30 people realistically. And the problem was that there was only one bathroom in that in that office. 30 people. With one bathroom. You can imagine like people waiting in line for that one bathroom sometimes. Uh, so we were like, okay, let's go look for, for a new office. And so we were thinking about... Do we want a big office? Do we want a small office? Where do we want it? And we had gone through so many office choices and then landed on one. But the challenge was with this one was that it was so nice and it was like perfect, like rent, like uh, price and great neighborhood. But as it always says, it's always too good to be true. It's probably too always good to be too too good to be true. Uh, and the, the office uh, landlord required a 10 month deposit on the place um and it was essentially almost five times four times our current rent price at that time as well so we were like and you can see where this is going uh-huh trying to go hire more people move into an office with a fat deposit and a uh, a large fixed expense and uh, yeah, so we started into 2016, like everything's great. We're moved into a new office. We have this great hiring plan to go execute on. We can do it all ourselves because 2014 worked and 2015 worked again. And it started falling downhill. Just like back when you were, you know, on the runway for two months left, you're back there. It felt a little like that. Yeah, where we were starting to race against time again. I remember we were doing a speaking opportunity and uh, we had started talking about, me and the co-founder started talking about like, oh no, there's a, there's a large burn rate happening right now. Burn rate is when you lose more money that you're make, than you're making. And, uh, and the, we maybe have seven months of runway until the bank account was zero. And I was like, are you kidding me? How is that possible? We figured out how to break even. We figured out how to make a million dollars a year the first year of our company. We figured out how to five times our team. We figured it all out. How is it that now in seven months, everything's just going to start to fall down? And I was so scared. And uh, huh, even when I think about it, it's, it gives me that, it's that, tough. that, 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 that those chills. So, so anyways, um, you know, we, we, me and the co-founders were like, okay, let's look at our numbers it does validate that we have about seven or eight months of runway left. We're burning about maybe $100,000, $150,000, even sometimes $200,000 a year. And we had still been hiring people at that time because we had a hiring plan. Um, so this one night, on a Sunday night, me and the co-founders met up, figured out a plan. And the plan forced us to realize that the only way to cut expenses as deeply as we needed upwards of 100 to 150,000 a month would be to to do layoffs. You hadn't had to let anyone go at this point. And we sucked at letting people go if we had to let people go. Um, and so you can imagine like we had to put all the names on the board and look at everybody's name and assess very closely and very carefully if we believe that this person was absolutely someone we needed for the company to add value and give us a shot at growing. Um, and get out of this situation or not. And so we spent hours debating, the whole day of Sunday debating. And at nighttime, we figured out the, the, the six that we were going to, to let go. And uh, we had to now prepare for how we were going to deliver that this the is very over, next day. Over one night. You're... This is one whole day and, and on the weekend. Oh, man. So then next day, you're at this new office. You just, you had to go in and tell six people that they don't have a job anymore. Everything seemed good until then, and now it's just... That's absolutely true. Uh, we got in early in the morning. We had texted or emailed the employees. We had to let them, tell them that they had to come in a little bit early to, to talk. And then we had to deliver the news 
And when they heard the news, they were very confused because one, we had barely let anybody go before at that time. And two, we, there was always a lot of talk that we were doing really well. So it didn't make any sense to them. And when we showed them the numbers, we showed them what, what was happening. Uh, they realized that it was, we were telling the truth. And so when that was done, now we had to go tell the whole team. Yeah, I mean, that, I can't imagine that can't be a good thing either as you know, someone that didn't get laid off, you know, although you're happy you still have a job, but at the same time now your company is failing. It yes, seems. I could not sleep that Sunday night right before that Monday morning because of how I thought people re- would react and hate me. And so when I had to go up to the team and tell them that, hey, we aren't doing that well, this is happening. If we do not make this change right now, or if we did not make this change right now, we would have seven months of runway left. We would all be out of jobs and everything we had worked and poured our heart and soul and tears into would be burning down to the ground. And so told them and then realized um, that a lot of them were very shocked and very scared and sad and uh, a little fearful as well. So after this, um, I mean, this is obviously a tough time for the company, but do things pick up after that is it like you know getting better then you know when they say that things keep when things go up they must come down yeah this kept going even more down oh no <laughs> this kept going even more down uh so uh how i how i kind of share this with some of the the friends who i've shared these this story with is that uh it's the case of the the five situations that all occurred uh on the summer of 2016 that I would never have uh, uh, predicted what happened. And uh, the first one was morale was at an all-time low, right? And so I had to spend a lot of my days picking people up, telling them what was going on, show them that we can do it, while at the same time, like, doing my own work and trying to keep the company alive and floating. Essentially, it almost was, like, trying to visualize it. It was trying to, like, uh, hold on the the airplane uh, control to pick it back up as it was kind of diving downwards. Yeah, everyone's looking at you. And while everyone's looking at me, asking me questions while I'm trying to do that job. So that was challenge number one. Challenge number two decided to come up a few days or weeks after I forgot exactly when, but decided to show up uh, on my doorstep uh, via an email stating that we were infringing on their patent their software patent. Oh. So um, not going to say names. I'm not going to you know, give my opinions on this, but essentially we were uh, being potentially litigated for infringing on a patent. So I had this situation now appear on my doorstep while trying to keep the, uh, try to bring the airplane back up at the same so time. With nothing everyone. is going right at this point. At this I was, but that, that's not even the worst. That, that, let me tell you, that's not even the did worst. Did you fix that? Did, how, did you like find a way to... Not until we had to figure out all these other things that were happening. Right. So, so remember that office we had that had 30 people with that one bathroom? Yep. When we moved out, we had to sublet it to, to someone else. And when we sublet it, uh, they it was under the premise that they would sublet it if they were able to build a new bathroom there because it wasn't conducive for one bathroom. So we're like, sure, take it. Do what you want with it. We have the approval from the landlord. So they start building a bathroom and spend like $20,000 on it. And then all of a sudden I get a phone call saying, why is this place or why is the city not allowing us to, to do any more construction? Uh, why is it that they're telling me that the office is not zoned properly for office use? And I was like, wait, what? What's going on? What are you saying? I have no idea. I'm not a real estate lawyer. I don't know anything about real estate. What is this zoning? What? And so uh, quickly realized that our office, previous office was not zoned properly. That's why the city was blocking the construction of the new bathroom, which then pissed off the subtenant and then so much so that he would then want to litigate us for false advertisement on telling them that this was an office space when it was not zoned for, More legal for office suits. space. So there was that. Okay. Okay. Uh, there's that situation. And then I was like, please have no more situations come up. And then another one showed up, which was essentially our expenses were still like 
flying off the roof. Even though we had cut expenses off, we had created just too much, too many more expenses of trying to get an office space, and we were still just trying. I was visually trying to、uh, pull the airplane back up. So you had all these situations start to compound on me, and、uh, I remember very clearly that the summer of 2016. The first day of I think summer in June was when I was like smiling, and the very next memory I have was、uh, in September when the last day of summer well, had had just passed by. Your memory just blanked. Just blanked, trying to figure out all of these situations. And so then in September, when when your memory you know, comes back, <laughs> are you are things finally? Are you pulling the plane back up? Yes. Yes, we are starting to pull the plane back. And、up. what was kind of like the the main driver for that? Was it just kind of like all the bad things happened, or what was like the first thing that good happened after that? Yeah, so、um, the main things were figuring out all the situations with you know morale, with the、uh, patent infringement uh, situation, uh, the subtenant situation. After I was able to figure that out, and that's a whole story by itself.、Uh, You know, I was starting to able to focus on growing the company again. Being the CEO, focusing on making sales, focusing on making partnerships, focusing on watching our expenses and making sure we're making money again. And、uh, by around、uh, the fall of 2016, we were able to be profitable again, but in a very small manner uh, that um, didn't allow us to truly、uh, get out of the the woods yet. Okay. So I mean, you're still in this, I guess, bad situation where I mean, at least you're semi-profitable.、Um, are you you're down down to how many how many employees do you have at this point? You think? I would say about thirty from thirty-eight from the highest.、Period. Okay, so you're at thirty, but you're still technically you have thousands of clients. You're around the world. You now have a couple international offices、right. at this point. That's correct.、Um, And you're making you know, millions a year. So now, I guess this is twenty end of twenty sixteen. That's correct. So、yeah. kind of coming in to twenty seventeen. So now that you're at, you know, let's say it's starting to stabilize. What's next for the company? So twenty sixteen to twenty seventeen. What's your your vision for the company to kind of make sure that people are continually continuously growing and kind of helping you out? Yeah. So. After that whole situation of the summer of 2016, the whole layoff situation, 2016 was just、uh, a, a little bad memory. But you know, one thing I, I, I remember at the end of 2016 is every at the end of every year, I sort of take time to reflect on how the year was done, how I performed, how I did, and that specific one. This was only what eight, seven eight months ago. Was trying to understand. What the heck happened this past year? Like, if there was a like something or someone trying to tell me something, they definitely did with all the problems that compounded against each other. So I started to like really think about what it was this, what was the lesson learned here? What was the takeaway here? And the main thing that I took away was that out of all these situations that occurred, I'm glad they occurred. I'm glad they occurred because it forced me to really understand. What it takes to build a company. I'm glad it, you know, did what it did because it helped me understand how to like figure things out and、um, it built a lot of confidence in me. But through that,、um, through that experience,、uh, one thing I started to pick up a lot and realizing because of、uh, these challenges was how to take care of my mental health a lot more. And one of the main practices that I still practice today for the last year, year and a half, because of the situations. Uh, is a lot of meditation, and so、um, because I was able to meditate more, reflect more, think more, I was able to sort of see this whole new perspective of, look, everything needed to happen for a reason. Everything occurred because it needed to teach me something. So what next can we do with this? And so in the beginning of 2017,、um, I was talking to the co-founders, and we were kind of burnt out from 2016. We had already dedicated maybe four or five years by this time to the company, and we were like, "Okay, let's think about what's in the future." So, what is in the future for Tim? Well, even since this recording, quite a bit has happened. 
Tint is in the process of increasing their team size by 25% in the next couple months, while also expanding even further in Europe, Asia, the Middle East, Australia, and Africa. Forecasts are showing they are on track to hit the coveted 10 million annual revenue in the next couple years. Not only that, they are about to release a new product and new enterprise features which will make it even easier to display authentic user-generated content into every part of the customer journey. So if you're a brand looking for a new innovative way to interact and convert customers, you should give the folks at Tint a call. If there is one thing I was most impressed with when talking to Tim, it was in how he and his young team solved some pretty big problems in the past and his approach for continuing that in the future. If anything, approaching you know these, these challenges a lot more mindfully, um, a lot more intentionally, and uh, kind of seeing every situation that comes our way as an opportunity to learn and uh, just get better at the, than, the, than the previous day. Tim Sekou is the co-founder and CEO of Tint, and these days when he's not at the Tint office, he spends his time on mindfulness and traveling the world. And if you're ever wandering through the streets of San Francisco and you see a guy wearing a necklace with an owl on it, chances are it's probably Tim. Now, out of curiosity after the show, I was trying to find out how many Fortune 500 companies had used Tint. And when I was researching, I actually discovered that 40% of Fortune 50 companies had actually used Tint for their marketing efforts. Pretty impressive. I'm Casey Franco from Bryan Street Studios, and thanks so much for listening to How Tint Was Made. For more information on Tint and how you can kickstart your marketing efforts, go to www.tintup.com to learn more. That's www.tintup.com. Thank you.